We got this. We are smart girlies. Who said that? I did. Hi, and welcome to Lesbians. I'm Armani. And I'm Mag. Grab your nearest queer and your nearest oat milk iced latte and get comfy and listen to us talk about everything and anything. Okay, Makana, what are our intro topics today and any updates that you would like to tell everybody? Hi, thank you so much for asking, Armani. Um, I have very, very exciting news today. Um, after two years and many therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, I have been officially diagnosed with ADHD. Round of applause. Um, let me tell you about the first time. I got ADHD tested. This does go into our topic of the day. We're going to be talking about mental health, medication, mostly medication, and all the ones that we're on. Um, But since it kind of regards to my update, uh, the first time I got tested for ADHD was by a psychologist. She was very nice. But the test that she gave me felt like it was for children. I don't like because I'm an adult. Like, I've dealt with this for years. Like, obviously, I can cope with some things. And I've learned to test take because of our atrocious school system with that only does standardized testing. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. A quick question. What do you mean by it was a test for kids? Like, what kind of questions was it? Right. So it what the first one was, like, very basic math, like addition, subtraction, multiplication division not even long division like it was easy division I still had to do it in my head but I mean I passed fifth grade so I think I got it and then the part that was supposed to be the most difficult part that trips everyone up was you had to watch this black screen and there was a red or a white dot in the middle and then the top dot like the white dot at the top would move from the top to the bottom And so when it moved positions, you had to click this little clicker that you had in your hand. And I got like 70% of it. And but it wasn't difficult. Like, that was the only thing for me to like there, I couldn't fidget with anything. They took my phone away for the test. It just felt like anyone could take it. I was like, but when I talked to my psychiatrist today, I was like, look, can I get retested? Because I've had friends and family members that have ADHD and they've gotten tested and it was a far different kind of test. They had like family interviews. One of them took like two days to conduct. Mine took an hour. So I I went to my psychiatrist just asking to get retested because I'm very, I'm a hypochondriac, but when it comes to mental health, I think just growing up with my mother, I definitely listened to everyone so I'm like test me so I like I know whether I have it or not like just so I know so I was like hey can you test me again and she was like well can I just ask you a few questions right now and I was like yes please like do whatever you need to she asked me the questions and once she concluded she was like I'm just gonna be honest I knew you had ADHD because you talk over me constantly and I was like oh sorry and she was like just your speech patterns one thing that she asked she was like do you she asked, like, do you have trouble? Like, you feel like the thought you have to say it and talk over people. Otherwise, the thought's going to disappear. And I was like, every day of my life, actually, every moment of every day. And I feel I told her, I was like, I feel rude in conversations because I talk over people. But it's, it's I'm also engaged in the conversation. Literally same. 
I also feel like if I do not get the thought out, it will, I will lose it pretty much immediately. So, and I'm always apologizing to people for talking over them, but I'm not going to steal McConaughey's shine. I've never been tested for ADHD, but my dad has ADD and my brother has ADHD, but I don't think either of them take anything for it actually not to think about it, but yeah, so she finished those questions and she said, you are textbook ADHD. She said, I don't understand who you got tested with before. What they, did they even listen to a single word that came out of your mouth? She was like, it's so easily, like you can tell so easily. So shout out to my current psychiatrist. Um, she has finally listened to me and like heard me because plenty of my friends have been like, please, for the love of God, get tested. One of my friends is a social worker. She has the DSM-5. We played a little drinking game one night to drink for everything in the DSM-5 that you have. We would like flip it open to a random page. We had something on that page, take a drink. I was plastered. But we got to the ADHD one and it has the criteria. And I think there's like 12 criteria you have to meet. And if you meet like a certain number of them, like nine or more, you have ADHD. I had like 11. Like it was obvious. But... My last psychiatrist didn't think so, but my current one, shout out to her again. We finally got it. So hopefully, you know, I can not interrupt. She did say, she's like, you have to take it a day that you're podcasting so we can see if you still interrupt or not while it's kicking. But she wants me to take it like on a weekend so I can like podcast like peak. So we we will see. We we will have updates. But yeah, and we're recording another episode on Sunday, so we will see. And my sister is going to be joining us for that episode. And I can't remember if Elena interrupts. I think she does the same thing. So can't wait for all three of us to be in one space, (laughs) almost over talking one another. But yes, I'm also curious. I saw your podcast notes um, on. I think you put in a book that you've been reading. Yes. So the book I've been reading, it's actually a book I've had forever. I got it in one of my uh, gender classes I took probably like freshman year, but I notoriously did not read any book. I was assigned during college. I bullshitted my way through everything, but it's actually, I finally like picked it up and read what it was about. And one of the reviews on the back said that it's a reminiscent of Orwell's and Huxley's dystopian novels. And those are two of my favorite books, 1984 and A Brave New World. Quick thing. I just read 1984 this year for the first time. I didn't read it in high school and did not like it. There were some parts where I was like, ooh, this is hitting. But it's like one pair. I'm sure you know what chapter I'm talking about where he was just going off. But other than that, I was like, uh, it was okay. I think I gave it like three and a half stars. But I do have Brave New World too, so I'm going to read that. I love A Brave New World. They made a show about it on Peacock, I think. But the book just does it so much better. So yeah, this is called Egalia's Daughters. I'm probably butchering that. But it's a satire of the sexes by Gerd Brantenberg. I think I got that right. Um, I just started it. I'm only 25 pages in, but it's about, it's pretty much if women had the same societal standing as men do now. So pretty much if we just took the way society is now and flipped it so that men, yeah, were in those places. And it's kind of hard to read because the term that they use for men is men whim. 
And then there's the WOMs. So instead of having men and women, it's WOM and men whim. So some of the text is difficult, but so far it's very good. Is it a fiction book? Yeah. Well, what? Duh. I just realized, of course, it must be fiction. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Let me know if it's good because I can pick it up and read it too. Yes. What are you watching? I think that was also in your thing, right? Yeah. So I've been binging Handmaid's Tale. I've watched it so many times, but I, I love it so much. Even the trauma part of it, I still somehow can watch it. Um, but shout out, not shout out, reminder to all the white women who like to post about Handmaid's Tale being what's going on right now. Handmaid's Tale is based on events that have been happening for centuries, particularly to women of color. So it's not something that has never happened before that's just going to randomly happen. Like this has been the reality for a lot of people. So I would just like to put that reminder out there. Period. End of story. Like any white woman that says, oh, we're turning into Handmaid's Tale, babes, please sit down for like two seconds for the love of god but it is a really good show i haven't read the book but i know obviously margaret atwood was um she helped produce the show and i think they are coming out with a sixth season which i'm super excited about because i absolutely love that show and i'm not gonna have any spoilers but it's it's good yeah and i did get another book i don't know where it is i can't remember what the title is but it's also written by margaret antwood it's i think a prequel to the handmaid's tale but it's kind of from the perspective of an aunt which is is that called the testaments let me look it up it's very difficult for me to finish books so but the parts that i did read it was very good well maybe now that you're on um adhd medicine you'll be able to focus better i hope to god because I love buying books, so I have a million books that I want to read, and yeah. I've read ten pages of each. <laughs> well, me and McConnell are also going to start like book episodes, so hopefully that can encourage her as well when we start reading books together. Obviously, I think a buddy read would like obviously give you more. What's the word I'm looking for? Hi, our money from the future. The word I was looking for was motivation. Okay, bye. Con- with work and that didn't work out granted only one other person read it okay now on to my updates um actually it's an update for me and makana we have officially both had gay sex during the month of june so therefore we are credible gays and anyone who hasn't had gay sex sorry you're not a credible gay (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, this kind of ties into our antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds or whatever. But yeah, I have legit no sex drive at all, but I can still be a top. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Don't know what to do about it. I need anything. And I'm pretty sure it's because of my antidepressants. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Like, it, I wouldn't really want anything done to me. Makana? That is what I was saying. I think I put a note. But um, when I was on just Lexapro, I was never horny at all, ever. And then once I started the Wellbutrin again, I'm horny 
great. Um, uh, I can't relate unless I get fucking shit face. Then I can get horny. But even then, it's really fucking hard. So that's a personal problem. The other update I have is I just listened to a podcast. I'm not sure if you saw this note. All I have is Tiger Woods. Um, because I need everyone to know, I was listening to this podcast called Hollow Shame, and it's basically just like scandals that have happened in sports history and stuff. And I've never really heard much about the Tiger Woods scandal because we were pretty young when that happened, like 2009. And I just remember Ludacris made that song, My Chick Bad, where he was like coming out swinging like Tiger Woods' wife. They, I, because I remember we were so young when the Tiger Woods scandal happened and my dad is like gun-ho Tiger Woods fan. Every time golf was on, I don't know what day golf is on, we were always watching Tiger. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. And when it came out that he cheated on his wife, why did they act like he went on a murder spree? That's what I'm saying. And I don't know if it's because he's a man of color and they just held him to a higher standard or something. Because that's kind of what I was thinking. Because, well, first of all, did not know that he cheated on his wife with 120 women. I near my jaw... (laughs) babes 121 actually his wife left him after she found out about the 121 which happened to be his 21 year old neighbor and the weird thing about that is he had known her since she was 14 so like that's weird but he lost like millions of dollars of sponsorships because he cheated on his wife which obviously like we think is morally wrong but there's nothing illegal about cheating on your wife like you're not unless you're in the military or something like that but he can cheat on his wife all that he wants because it's not illegal obviously it's wrong to, but that's his and his wife's business that's like not anybody else's business so i feel like that was kind of shitty i was looking up to see what year he cheated on his wife it was 2009 um yeah I was wondering if there's like other things coming out at that time like maybe there was like a lot of things about like religion or morality maybe that's why it was more intense and i remember he like crashed his car i have that image and then she i think she like waved a knife at him or something which i think it was a golf club and she also threw his phone at him and chipped his tooth i said period queen go off um women supporting women but now i'm going to transition over to the book of the week which actually is very fitting for pride month It is called Punch Me Up to the Gods by Brian Broom, spelled B-R-O-O-M-E. I read this book back in February and pretty much never forget it because it's a memoir from a black gay man who grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And it discusses racism, obviously being black and having to be perform this like black male image that other black men around him were like pressing on him, like to act, you know, very masculine and very cool laid back but you know he was also gay so he had more i guess feminine qualities which got him picked on a lot and um definitely sobbed during that book and i want to read one of the quotes that made me sob because like i said he was gay as well it says i fought my demons every night and prayed the good lord would take these desires away from me those desires being gay the good lord never did and i was like I need to give him a hug now because he dealt That's with. Oh, he's so sad about like kids that grow up in like super religious households like that. Is this actually kind of goes in with Handmaid's Tale because I just watched the episode. Sorry, any spoilers for people who haven't watched it, but Sydney Sweeney is in it. My queen, love her to death. 
Sydney Sweeney, if you're listening right now, hit me up. <laughs> she's in Hammondsville, and in the part she's in, like she gets executed for you know her quote unquote sins, and they found out that she had a Bible that she was reading. One in Gilead reading is legal for women, so even the Bible. Mm-hmm. But she had had like notes in there trying to like understand like what the Bible was saying. And so like that makes me think of like kids that are like growing up in like these uber religious households that are like praying to like make their parents happy to like not have like a hard life. And it makes me so sad. Yeah. Those prayers are not going to come true because. Exactly. And then, of course, growing up back then in the 80s and 90s, when like racism was still, I mean, racism is still very much alive today. But just imagine being back in the 80s and 90s, as well as homophobia was very much alive, very much real as it is today, too. But you know what I mean? Obviously, it's like a different time period. Continuing on from last episode, fuck you, Ronald and Nancy Reagan. (laughs) May you burn eternally. Period. So that book, 100% would recommend it to anybody, but just letting you know, you will cry because he's also like wanting to be white so bad because white gay men in that, um, like in some of the situations that he was put in were held obviously more valuable than black men. And he had to worry like whether these white men would like him being a black man. And it was just, it hit way too hard, way too many ways. So definitely would recommend that. And then as far as shows, on a lighter note, um, I have been watching The Old Love Island, the one that was, I think it came out last year with the girl that I've been seeing. We've been watching that. And I do like the UK better than the Australian version because I feel like the Australian version does not have enough people of color. And I feel like the UK usually does a pretty good job. The UK is the top version. Like, Compared to the Australian, I have never watched the Australian one just because I know it's trash. And the why would I do that when I have the UK version? Um, I have watched one season of the American version, which I don't like because there's not as many episodes. Because like in the UK, they air what six days a week, and then yeah. US, it's I think it's twice a week, but that's still not a lot compared. So you you just miss out on so much that you see in the uk version i think i also just like the i think i just like their accents i'm like american people are so boring can i play for a chat can i play for a chat i'm fuming right now bro fuming (laughs) i absolutely love the uk version so that's kind of what i've been watching as well as candy that's on hulu which is um a true crime story really good it's only five episodes so super short for people that don't want to watch a super long show Okay, well, I am going to transition now into the history and fast facts of antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications. I do want to say before I get into this that I am a pharmaceutical plant. (laughs) I am currently on 20 milligrams of Lexapro, 10 milligrams of Boosbron, 10 milligrams of Propranolol, and 100 milligrams of Trazodone. Um, I've also taken as another um, badge of honor, I've taken Abilify, Wellbutrin, and Zoloft. And I'm probably going to get my Trazodone switch. So I'm prescribed the Trazodone because I have really bad insomnia. And the Trazodone literally did not do anything except make me feel drunk when I woke up. So I'm probably going to get switched from that. Fun fact to everyone listening at home, um, Armani and Molly have the same Trazodone prescri- prescription. 
Okay. So I'm also just, I guess I should just give you the rundown. So I gave you the rundown of the medication I'm on. I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, as is, I'm pretty sure, literally everybody who goes to a psychiatrist. But the fun one is the OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, which I'm sure people know a little bit about. And I'm going to talk about it later. So I just kind of want to give like a cute little history lesson on um, the discovery of antidepressants. So an article that was posted on PubMed titled The History of the Discovery of Antidepressants from the 1950s until Today. The 1950s saw the clinical introduction of the, the first two specifically antidepressant drugs. One of them was a mono... I, I'm not going to bore you guys with the details because some of these I can't even pronounce. But um, there was two that came onto the market and... One of them was called a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, which is an extremely strong class of antidepressants that treat depression by preventing the breakdown of the brain chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. I know I didn't just say that right. So maybe in a separate episode, I'm going to discuss the Prozac boom in the 80s because that was one of the most popular antidepressants that came onto the market, but I'm probably not going to have enough time to talk about that today. But um, I just also want to say that there is no actual way to be able to test somebody's dopamine or serotonin levels to then accurately prescribe a medication and a dosage. So basically, your doctor just be guessing and just listen to how the medication and dosage are helping or not. Honestly, my favorite part about having mental illness is when you go to the doctor, they're like, you know what, we'll start you here. And it's like, and then they're like, but... If you want to kill yourself, stop taking it. But then also when you cold cut medications, that also can make you want to kill yourself more. So it's an endless cycle of taking medication for the rest of your life that might make you kill yourself. Exactly. Yeah, basically. Um, It's just like a fun guessing game that your psychiatrist plays with um, your body And, but I mean, I guess that's not technically their fault. Cause like I said, there's literally nothing that they can do to figure out how much serotonin levels you have in your body to be able to be like, okay, well, this is how much Lexapro you need, or this is how much Wellbutrin you need. So it's also just interesting that different medications work for different people because everyone's so different, but more women than men are being medicated And in a Vice article, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but the author made a good point that women are typically the ones in antidepressant commercials, if you've ever noticed, the ones who are presenting it. Um, And according to the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, women are two and a half times more likely to be prescribed antidepressants than men. Now, what does that correlation mean? Maybe men just don't like to seek out mental health help and women do. That's what I'm thinking. I think that just goes along with like the societal expectations of men in general. Like men aren't supposed to talk about their feelings. You know, I feel like men probably don't seek out therapy as often as women do because as we all know, men need therapy a hundred percent. Yes. If you are a man listening to this and you're not in therapy, go make an appointment. (laughs) Immediately. Better help. Better help sponsor us, please. For the love of God. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about Lexapro, which me and McConnell are both on 20 milligrams. Cute. So Lexapro, 
was developed in close cooperation between Lundbeck and Forest Laboratories. Its development was initiated in the summer of 1997, and the resulting new drug application was submitted to the FDA in March of 2001. Lexapro is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which is called SSRI for short, and it's a class of drugs that was used as antidepressants to treat major depressive disorder, anxiety disorders, and other psychological conditions. So now, for the listeners, I'm going to yassify an SSRI so that everyone can understand what the hell it is. Because honestly, I didn't know until I um, had to read a Wikipedia page about it. So in our little rat brains, we have these things called nerve cells that are dying to spread the hot gossip that they can only talk to each other using these little things called synapses. So your little nerve cell ends up writing a letter which we're going to call the presynaptic cell that has all the good stuff in it. And that's the serotonin. So this letter has all the info and it's going to be recognized by the receptors on the surface of the friend you're trying to send the info to. And upon the stimulation in turn relays the message. So about 10% of the serotonin is lost in this process and the other 90% is released from your friend. So your friend's sending the letter back and taken up again by little transporters that take it back to you. And this process is known as reuptake. So you're basically just sending messages back and forth. 10% of it's going to get lost. And with an SSRI, instead of these messages going back and forth between you and your friend, they're actually just going to stay in the mailbox. They're going to stay in between y'all. And it's preventing that reuptake. I probably do need to do a little bit more research about why it's important. You need to do a little bit more research about why it's important that it's that it's preventing the reuptake. But that's just a little yassification in simple terms for people to understand. SSRIs can be used to treat depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, panic disorders, and eating disorders. And then there are also SSNRIs, wait, SNRIs, which I think is what Wellbutrin is because it's not a serotonin. It does, it inhibits the reuptake of serotonin and non-adrenaline. Um, from the way that my psychiatrist, cause I, you know, again, 20 milligrams of Lexapro, and then I'm also on a 150. All right. I yeah. need a little pill. Um, but the way that she described it is, you know, my serotonin levels are great, um, because of the Lexapro, which funny, I got put on Lexapro for my anxiety, but it actually helped my depression so well. Um, but then with that, I was still having like energy issues. So that's why I was given the Wellbutrin because it doesn't do anything for your serotonin. It actually helps your dopamine levels. And that's what makes you like energized. Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm going to do a little switch over to Zoloft, the killer in the closet. (laughs) So Zoloft is an SSRI which was the most prescribed antidepressant in the U.S. in 2016. Ooh, we love a, lo- we love a hallmark. Um, the FDA requires all antidepressants, including Zoloft, to carry a box warning stating that antidepressants increase the risk of suicide in persons younger than 25 years old. This warning is based off a statistical analysis conducted by two independent groups from the FDA that found a 100% increase of suicidal thoughts and behavior in children and adolescents and a 50% increase in the ages 18 to 24, which is how old me and McConaughey are. 
which is just like amazing. I love to hear that. Now I am going to talk about my personal experience with Zoloft. So I was first prescribed, I think I was on like 10 or 15 milligrams of Lexapro, but because of my... Oh, shit. Hold on. Wait. Okay. So after my Lexapro, I was talking to my psychiatrist and I guess she thought I was like psychotic or something because then she put me on Abilify. We hate Abilify in this household. Abilify did not work. And also Abilify is prescribed to people that have schizophrenia and honestly just like wasn't a vibe to be on it. (laughs) And I was like, what if somebody like reaches over my nightstand and like (laughs) Googles Abilify and they're like, this bitch has schizophrenia. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I was never prescribed with schizophrenia. I was never diagnosed with schizophrenia. I think it, it all stems from my OCD, which I'm going to talk about later. But then she put me on Zoloft because Zoloft is used to treat um, OCD and it apparently works pretty well. Apparently it didn't work for me though, because I started off on, I think like 25 milligrams. And then I was supposed, she told me I was supposed to get up to 200 or something like that. Cause she said that she thought I was going to be in the high range of it. And it was okay in the beginning, but then I realized that it was making me so fucking tired. Like I just wanted to sleep every single time I took it. Also, I had the worst GI problems. I couldn't eat anything because my GI tract was so messed up. Like literally I was like shitting water for weeks where I did not have a solid shit, which is like TMI, but I mean, that's the truth. Mental health is not pretty. And then the depression came and it came really fucking hard because um, in December I started keeping a Google doc, which is funny to laugh at now because that's how I I cope. But I started this little Google doc of basically a suicide (laughs) where I was writing all of my thoughts that I had while I was on Zoloft. And at this point, I think when I wrote this last paragraph that I'm about to read, I'm pretty sure I had already messaged my psychiatrist and I was like, Hey girl, um, I really need to get off this medication. And I didn't tell her this, but the true reason is because I was actually planning. Like I started thinking, I could kill myself. And I was like, okay, I really need to get off this medication because I knew it wasn't me. I was like, these are not normal thoughts to have. I knew it was a Zola. So I was like, hi. Okay. Armani from the future. I just want to really state that I am not making light of suicide. It's just the way that I cope. And honestly, this is how it was feeling on this medication. And I just want to like normalize. If you feel like this on a medication, you need to immediately message your psychiatrist or your NP, your doctor, whatever, and talk to them about getting you off the medication. And also, if anyone else has felt like this on Zoloft, you're not alone because definitely the worst medication I've ever been on. So, yeah, if you don't want to listen to this next part, I would definitely recommend skipping forward like five minutes so then you don't have to hear this really rough part. Okay. I need to get off of this. So I wrote, um, I'm constantly wondering when it gets better. When I'm at my lowest, which I am at this point, I wonder why I keep going. Who am I continuing to go for? My family seems like an obvious answer, but it's hard to think about how they would react when I'm gone and I just want to do it anyways. Yeah. So that's just a small snippet really hated Zoloft. And that is why this episode is titled, I survived Zoloft almost murdered me. Um, so yeah, uh, we hate Zoloft in this household. And then I got put back on Lexapro. And that was awful having to transition off of Zoloft and getting back on Lexapro. Those were also really bad weeks for me. But obviously, I'm okay now 100% good. And now I like I said, I'm on Lexapro. And then the, when I was on J 
just the 20 milligrams of Lexapro, I felt fine with my anxiety, my depression, but I was super fucking irritable. Like I just wanted to literally kill everybody else, not myself. But um, so then can we also talk about because you were saying how like your Zoloft like fucked up your body. Um, Yeah. Can we talk about when you don't take your Lexapro? I have there was one time where the brain zaps, <laughs> literal electricity, McDonald's Sprite being poured onto your yeah. That's what it feels like because my yeah. uh, pharmacy like fucked up and I didn't have my Lexapro for solid five days and I thought I was going to lose it. And I worked yeah. in an office and I would get up and down like from my desk because it was like a high desk and I would see Ford like my vision would just blur and I was so dizzy. It was between the brain zaps and the dizziness. I was like, give me my medicine. Yeah. The brain zaps are no joke, but they're actually like fun for me. My sister hates the brain zaps, but like low key, they'd be waking me up. I'm like, Ooh, cause I get brain zaps and I'm not even like, not like, you know what I mean? I've never missed a dose of Lexapro, but like randomly I'll get a brain zap in the middle of the day. And I'm like, Ooh, yep. <laughs> that was funny. Bitch, I'm out. <laughs> so the I got prescribed Boostron, which is just another anti-anxiety medication. And because she thinks my psychiatrist thought that I hated everybody because I was anxious. So it's either anxious or I was either anxious or depressed. And I was not depressed. So she was like, maybe you're just really anxious. So now I'm on 10 milligrams of Boostron. I fucking love Boostron. That is my hitter. Love that bitch. So yeah, I think... And then the propranolol is, um, I only take that when I'm having an anxiety attack because it helps like lower your blood pressure. So then your heart rate slows down, you're not sweating, you're not shaking. And I use it typically for public speaking too, because it just helps a lot when I take it. So I don't take it every day, but it is nice to have. And then transitioning into Wellbutrin, the skinny horny pill, which is, I have, I will say it is the horny pill. I don't know about the skinny part because due to my mental illnesses, I already have disordered eating um, and I don't have an appetite. So it, it isn't from Wellbutrin because I've struggled with this for years. So I, the skinny part, it may apply, it may not. Um, but the horny part, 100 million, 10% applies. Give it to me. Give it to it, Give it to Because me. like my girlfriend's so hot, but... The Wellbutrin is it's definitely doing something because even just with like masturbation, like when I took that break from Wellbutrin for like four or five months, my toys, a hundred percent charged, did not get used once. I was just never damn like. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel at the moment, but um, just a quick Wellbutrin experience. So Wellbutrin also has this side effect where it can support smoking secession because it's some kind of like antagonist for the nicotine receptors. So when you're smoking, you don't get, what is it like the rush or whatever? Like they don't exactly hit the same. And I don't know if that's just for cigarettes or because like, obviously you're using salt Nick, which is like different, like if you're dueling or something like that. So I'm not sure if it's just like tobacco. Um, but I was smoking cigarettes back when I was 16 and I got put on Wellbutrin to help me with um, obviously smoking and it did help with that but i had two pretty severe panic attacks which i have never had in my life have not had them again since being on wellbutrin 
And that was the scariest time of my life. So I pretty much got off the, that immediately. So that's why I am kind of afraid to take it now. But I don't know if it's because like my brain wasn't fully developed at that time or something. You know, I'm not exactly sure. But that was just my experience. But as I said, primarily used to treat major depressive disorder and to help stop smoking. Wellbutrin is an effective antidepressant on its own, but it's popular as an add-on medication. As in the cases of incomplete response to the first line of SSRIs, aka Makana, with the Lexapro. And I got the information from Wikipedia, so don't clock me. So, and I read a Vice article called The Problem with Within Wellbutrin Prescriptions for Patients with Eating Disorders. So this girl, her name was at Gracie Millie on Twitter. I don't know if this tweet is still up, but it said, Hey girls, what is an antidepressant that made you lose weight? If I'm going to have the libido and mental function of a sea sponge, I might as well get skinny. And she got a lot of responses, but a majority of them recommended Wellbutrin, which is known to increase libido and support weight loss, unlike other SSRIs and SNRIs. So um, the FDA has warned against prescribing Wellbutrin, obviously, for people that are suff- have suffered or suffering from an eating disorder for obvious reasons. And in 2012, the company that makes Wellbutrin pleaded guilty to illegally marketing Wellbutrin as a drug that could spur weight loss and libido. So, Your Honor, take them straight. Jail. So basically, the FDA was like, "Um, wait a damn minute, you're not allowed to promote this drug because they didn't even approve it to treat those things." And along with that, there was another scandal at the company that created Wellbutrin because they were giving kickbacks to doctors that promoted Wellbutrin at medical events. One doctor said that he made like $250,000. That's the thing because I'm pretty sure that still happens with so many. The pharmaceutical industry is so messed up. We need to do a whole nother episode just about like the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. And like the opioid crisis and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, But also, this was just like a fun fact that was in the article, but some random woman said that she had 60 orgasms in one night while she was on Wellbutrin. And I want to know at what point did she start counting? And I also want to know, was it like consecutive? Was it like one after the other? Was this like an eight hour thing there? I didn't get any parameters. So I need more information on her. Was she straight? Was she gay? Was she having sex with a woman, a man? Because I feel like like, if Wellbutrin is making you have 60 orgasms, the man, market that shit. Market that shit for the straight ones. Quickly. Quickly. But then, like, you know, if, if, if she's sleeping with women, then all all the WLWs are just going to be like, yeah, it's just a Saturday thing, okay? <laughs> for real. So, yeah. So then the U.S. government was like, all right, y'all need to pay up. And they were fined $3 billion. $3 billion for misrepresenting Wellbutrin. So that was like the fun pharmaceutical angle that I have. But now I'm going to talk a little bit about OCD. For one, I usually don't just come out and tell people that I have OCD, mainly because I feel like it's so misrepresented as like something that's like really quirky and like people will be like, oh, I'm, o- I'm so OCD when they like organize things. And it's like, babes, That's not what it is. So when I tell people, I don't want them to think that's what I mean. Like, no, I legit have it. So I'm going to tell you guys kind of like my story. But first, I'm going to tell you like some of the um, like symptoms. If you have it, 
start. Okay, so some of the symptoms um, that people with OCD can deal with are persistent, intrusive, and sometimes abhorrent thoughts are the hallmark of OCD. These obsessions or fixations are often violent, graphic, and sexual in nature and cause a great deal of distress among those who experience them. I'm not sure how accurate, often violent, graphic, and sexual in nature. I'm not sure if that's completely true. I don't really relate to that part of it. Well, never mind. I'll get into it. The compulsive health is like a spectrum. So like OCD, like definitely a spectrum, same as like autism and everything like that. Very true. It says the compulsions or urges are the behaviors aimed at neutralizing the distress caused by the repetitive thoughts. Blinking, hand-washing, cleaning, arranging, and counting are common OCD rituals, but not every OCD ritual is observable. A segment of those with OCD have what's called purely obsessional OCD. These engage in unseen mental exercising like checking, counting, avoidance, and endless ruminations. A good example of purely obsessional OCD is, um, I believe the book is called Because We Are Bad by Lily Bailey. She has um, OCD and hers was like, she would have to make mental lists of everything bad that she did that day and would have to like in her head, check it off whether it was red or green. And if it was red, then she would have to keep thinking about it for days on end until she could get it to be green. However many times she had to think about it. That sounds awful. And it's like really sad, but she kind of tells it in like a funny way because she's definitely like, um, she's in therapy and I think she's on medication and stuff. So she's doing a lot better, but yeah. So that's like an example of that. But in a Vice article titled 19 Everyday Things That Trigger My OCD, the author Shayla Love said, I read somewhere that if it makes you happy, it's not OCD. OCD is an acute way to refer to how you like your desk to be organized. There is no contentment here. Just racing repetitive behaviors that you try to do to keep those thoughts from coming true, which I think is a really good way to explain it to people who don't have it or people that think they might have it. So yeah, if it's making you happy, definitely not it because it's actually awful. (laughs) So OCD creates a terrible paradox for those with it by engaging in these rituals to stop the obsessions they only serve to increase the intensity and frequency of these thoughts while people with ocd realize that their thoughts are irrational they struggle with the doubt what if there's a small chance that this is real what if something bad really will happen i'm just going to talk a little bit about my personal history with ocd i think that it probably started somewhere in high school when i stopped sitting on toilet seats because I was, af- I think what it's called is contamination OCD when you're like afraid that something you're going to become contaminated. So I squatted above every single toilet that I used, even in my own home. Like I never even sat on my own bathroom for almost two years. And pretty much my pelvic floor is completely ruined because of that. I remember you being like a super germophobe in high school. Like you were always like constantly washing your hands, constantly at Germax, wouldn't touch certain things. Yeah, that was definitely a sign that I probably, uh, that's probably when it started. And I remember one time my mom, I have no idea why she did this because I still have like problems with the bathroom, but I can sit on a toilet seat now, unless it's like really disgusting that I'm like, okay, I will try to squat, but my mom took our toilet seat off and put it in the shower to clean it for some reason. I have never sobbed so much in my entire life because like I thought that the like toilet was like the the grossest thing in the world and her putting it in the shower which is also like a big trigger for me was just like shower so 
Yeah. And my mom like was like, why the fuck are you crying? Like my mom started screaming at me, but it was just, you know what I mean? You can't really like explain because it sounds irrational to other people. But yeah. So that was like one thing that I remembered. But oh, so then out of nowhere, I think probably listening to a lot of true crime, but in my house that I used to live in, we had five doors that all needed to be like locked at night. And um, I started locking all the doors at night. But then I started thinking like, oh, what if I actually like didn't lock a door? So then I would get up like two times to go check and make sure I locked the door. That would turn into like, I remember when there was one night that I got up five times and I was like on the brink of tears because I was like, I don't know what else to do. I have checked these doors five times. And you just like hope that the thought doesn't come again. And obviously five doors is a lot too. But so then I started taking pictures of the doors that were locked because I was like, okay, well, if I have the pictures, then it'll help me. And then I won't have to like keep getting up. But then it became a thing where I wasn't even like, if I got the thought that the doors weren't locked, doesn't matter if I have a picture of it, I would still get up. But then like, I had to also take pictures of the door because if I forgot my phone upstairs, I'd be like, well, now I need to go get my phone so I can take the pictures. So then like, I'm not kidding. I had to delete like over probably 500 to 600 pictures off of my phone of just doors and locks. And sometimes I'll still like find one randomly in my camera roll. And I'm like, that was, that was bad. So, but then once I actually moved into um, an apartment and we only have one door we have to lock, it's actually been, I don't take pictures anymore. I stopped doing that once I moved. Cause I was like, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah. And thankfully I only have one lock and I can actually see it from my bedroom. So I don't even have to leave my bedroom to make sure it's locked. So that is good. Um, so now my OCD, I feel like, I don't know if I'm sure it's like a spectrum and some people's like things that trigger them may like change over the years, but then some people maybe deal with the same trigger for their whole life. But I have like still the contamination fear where like, if I touch a bathroom door with my hand, it's like, I can literally feel the germs like permeating on my hand and I need to wash it and I feel really gross now it's not so much checking the door, but now I'm checking the, like under, I check underneath my bed as if somebody, nobody can fit underneath my bed. That's a real gag. Like literally nobody can fit under there, but I have to check that before I go to sleep. I check my closet. I check my linen closet. I have to check obviously both of my doors and in the shower before I can go to sleep. And then now it's also when I go to the bathroom before I go to sleep, I have to like squeeze out my pee to make sure that all of it's out. Except now it's like a counting thing where like it has to land on an even number for how many times I try to like get the pee out, but it can't be the number six because that's like the devil's number. <laughs> so then I can't do six and eight never necessarily feels right. So it's either four or 10. And sometimes it gets up to 20. It just depends on how stressed I am that night because obviously if you're stressed out it can make it like a lot worse because all OCD is just it's like anxiety based but then it's when you start like doing things based on the anxiety that kind of uh, a domino effect you know basically stress becomes big stress yeah basically and yeah there's really nothing like I think medications can help with OCD and I think that mine probably has a little bit but And, you know, it's probably not as bad as it could be. Um, But I do just want to finish this up before I pass it off to Makana. 
to oh and also ocd they say that cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy is probably like one of the best ones that you can do and sometimes exposure therapy for people that have like the hand washing ones i think where they have to wash their hands like a certain amount of times i don't do that i only have to wash my hands once but um this was a little infographic that i found on instagram that says want to piss ocd off live your life fully Laugh off your intrusive thoughts. Accept any feelings that come your way. Stop attaching stories to every thought. Love who you want to love. Follow your dreams. Take risks. Be free. You know what? I never thought of that. I never thought to just ha 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 laugh off the intrusive thought. I never, you know, just like don't do it. Like signs that some white mom has in her kitchen 100% like literally I don't even how does this even apply to laugh off the intrusive thoughts love (laughs) (laughs) yeah like just just laugh them off like you think you left your stove on you've already checked three times just laugh it off babes like I never thought of that Thank you for bringing that attention to my attention so my dad used he's gotten a lot better because now you know, he is in therapy and everything, but it used to be like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm depressed. And he's like, you have nothing to be depressed about. No, like, literally. My, dad, my dad's like, okay. <laughs> <I never> matter. <laughs> what are you anxious about? There's nothing happening. And I was like, yeah, that's not how it works though, Timothy. Um, no, but that's literally the point. That's why I'm anxious because I, I'm anxious because I don't know why I'm anxious. So it's just making me more anxious. Yeah. So that was my rundown. Now I'm going to pass it off to Makana because she did some research too. Yes. Um, and just like Armani, I am on a bunch of medication. Um, just added to the roster, you know, for my update earlier, um, I am now officially on 20 milligrams of Lexapro, 150 milligrams of Wellbutrin. Um, sounds like a lot. It's not. Um, and then also 10 milligrams of extended release Adderall. Um So again, I'm very thankful that my psychiatrist actually listened to me um, because one thing I did want to touch on is I know that a lot of psychiatrists will just write a prescription to write a prescription. It's an easy way out. Um, But, you know, a lot of mental illnesses like medication is something that can help. But usually, um, according to the APA, um, it's best to have both. Um, A lot of them, you know, it's just best between um, psychotherapy as well as medications for depression, anxiety disorder, and a lot of other um, instances. <clears throat> to go, I wanted to focus on Adderall since Armani already went over Lexapro and Milbutrin, um, and I'm excited because I'm finally on it after trying for so long. So amphetamine was first synthesized by a Romanian chemist named Lazar and the new in 1887. Um, so he wrote about it, but he never actually discovered its psychological effects. Um, not until 1929, some biochemist in California named Gordon Allies injected himself with 50 milligrams just to like see what would happen. He was really like, let's fuck around and find out. And he was originally trying to develop a drug that could be used for, like, asthma and allergies and found uh, Adderall. 
And I know, you know, there's going to be so many people talking about, you know, medication is addicting. Um, I'm already on two that I have to take for the rest of my life to remain on this earth. Um, so what's another? <laughs> what's another? <laughs> um, but even my psychiatrist are like, this isn't like a, you have to take it forever or you'll die. It's more of just, if I want to live a productive life, I have to take it. But another worry that we had about Adderall is obviously, if you've never taken Adderall before, one of the side effects is a loss in appetite. And one of my symptoms of my mental illness is a lack of appetite and disordered eating. So kind of similar to even adding a medication, my psychiatrist was like, well, you already don't eat. So how much worse can it get? I love her. She really understands me, which weirdly enough, I've only been taking it for two days now. And I actually have more of an appetite. Like I actually get hungry now, which is weird because it's supposed to suppress your hunger. So take that Adderall. Um, so yeah, my psychiatrist, you know, she knows me well, so it was easy for her to, uh, you know, give me the medications and I know, you know, it's going to help me a lot. Um, obviously, you know, I'm very open. Me and my dad are very close. So he knows everything that goes on in my little rat brain. Um, he honestly was very worried about me starting medication in the first place. Um, because, um, committed suicide because he started antidepressants and that did scare me but I did a little bit of research and according to a study done by PubMed by Robert Gibbons, Juan Her, Duel Buchnick and John Mann um, the result of their study um, was that the relationship between antidepressant medication prescription and suicide rate were not significant People who were on SSRIs or SNRIs, the level of suicide was actually lower. And then a positive association between a TCA, it's a certain type of antidepressant, and suicide rate, that one did have a positive association. Maybe like one kind had one, but a majority of like SSRIs don't. Um, So tried to talk to my dad about that. And, you know, now that he's seen like what medication has done for me, you know, it's really great. But that's another thing that I try to stress for everyone. And like I said before, therapy plus medication can be the best things for some. And for example, one case other than, you know, what we've been talking about today, depression and anxiety, Um, where therapy and medication can both be helpful is uh, borderline personality disorder. Um, I've been seeing a lot on TikTok about borderline personality disorder. Um, And I mean, like most things, like people are gonna make TikToks that, you know, aren't true. Um, I do know a lot about borderline personality disorder because mommy issues, my mother has borderline personality disorder. And it's very, very hard to talk to her about because, or really talk to anyone that has borderline personality disorder about it, because one of the main attributes or symptoms or, you know, kind of what goes into it is not believing that there's anything wrong with you whatsoever. Projection's a big thing. Um, So if you tell her, hey, I think, you know, therapy would be super helpful 
Um, and she also has a lot of childhood traumas, you know, being adopted and a lot of things. And I'm like, please, please just go to therapy. Just try, you know, it'll be great. And so if you even just try to like suggest it, it's like, no, you're the one that needs therapy. Just really funny trying to have those conversations now because I'm like, correct. And I'm in therapy and medicated. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. And so BPD and, you know, other like we're just going to have other episodes kind of going more in depth about BPD and other uh, mental illnesses. Yeah. Um, everyone can be educated. Yeah. And like the history of mental illnesses and me and Makana have realized um, I personally don't think that multiple personality disorder is real. And I know that might be controversial to say, but I genuinely don't think it is. And I've heard a lot of evidence against it. There is, um, there's this, I think he's a psych, he's a psychologist and a counselor. I watched his videos. His name is Dr. Grande. He's on YouTube and he does a lot of like true crime case analysis from like a counselor's like psycho, uh, psychologist standpoint. And he made a case for why he doesn't think it's real so that's honestly where I'm basing a lot of my knowledge from, but just also, you know what? I'm not going to get into it in this episode. We can get into it in another episode, but. I do think that multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder is real. I think it's one of those things, like the more you learn about it, like culturally, because, you know, we didn't know this was a thing 50 years ago, Yeah, you know, um, but I think when people talk about like what has to go in to actually let's not get into it. We'll do a whole episode because we can have a little debate discourse. We'll give you both the sides of what it is and go from there. Yeah. I think that's, it would be a really good episode. Actually, Elena would have a lot to say because me and her have had a lot of discourse about why she thinks multiple personality disorder is real. And is it also called dissociative personality disorder? So I think for many, many years when it was like first introduced, it was multiple personality disorder. But I think it's like recently been renamed to dissociative identity disorder. Right. And in certain contexts, like, okay, you know what? I can't get into it, but I'm just going to defend me, defend what I say by saying not necessarily, that I don't think that it's real, but I think it's definitely misconstrued a lot in the media. Of oh, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to dive into that one day. But, yeah, so that's the conclusion of this episode. I hope you guys learned a lot, and it was very informative. And yeah. our next episode, hopefully, will be on the female versus the male gaze and why we don't want to be perceived by a man. Ever yes, I think it'll be like female versus male gaze, you know, but I feel like, especially with how I feel about the gazes, it's going to get into gender. So buckle up. Yep. All right, Ladies guys. And double thumbs. I hate saying that. It sounds worse than a slur. Okay. Yeah. Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. See you guys next. Or I guess we won't wait. Okay, guys. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.